Howdy folks, it's Tuesday, August 21st, 2012. I'm Skip Reddertail, your Otter Editor, and welcome back to another episode of the Bad Dog Book Club. This week, it's episode 32, and we have not one, not two, but three stories by the great Buck Hopper. Now, B-Hop writes short stories, and we mean short stories. A lot of his are only a page, which is something we haven't done on the book club before. So rather than shortchange you episode-wise, we're doing three stories this week, read by Khaki Dog, Sparf, and myself. Hope you enjoy it, and hope you come back next week when Toonces and I will discuss it. Blocked by Paul Terranura. It hurts, you know. Most folks don't think about that when you swat down a shot, and I mean really swat it. I ain't talking scraping it with your claw tips, but pulling your arm back as far as you can, spreading your fingers till your webs burn and bringing your paw down on that rock with every ounce of strength the good Lord saw fit to give you. When the meat of your palm smacks that leather, it can sting like a sheep's head. You end up pumping your knuckles trying to work out the pain. You get some gas from the crowd, but it ain't enough to soothe your burning hand. Because it hurts. Hurts as much as being knocked down yourself. Like when I was just a young rookie, and you was the team star player, jealously protecting your stardom. I'll never forget how you made sure my height got listed wrong. How you told the coaches I was difficult so they'd keep me on the bench. How year after year you did everything you could to make sure there ain't no one in Tennessee ever knew what I could be. But that was enough for you. You just kept swatting me down in whispers between games. Every time you reminded me how I never knew my real mama. That growing up everyone could see my family wasn't mine. Every time you made me feel like coming out was a mistake, saying ain't no gay man could ever be a star. I heard them all, every little grunt. Every word you let slip in the locker room, filling my ears with all that jealous poison to make sure I knew I ain't never going to be nothing in Tennessee. But you couldn't hurt me when I moved to Cali. And when I got out from under your shadow, I could finally see the sky and how high I could reach. So high that a few years later, the moonshiners were getting rid of you so they could have me. And that's why, in that first game we played, when I saw you wearing black and I had the state's name back on my chest, I blocked your shot hard. And I mean hard. Pulled my arm back as far as I could, spread my fingers till my webs burned, brought my paw down on that rock with every ounce of strength the good Lord saw fit to give me. And I tell you what, it didn't hurt at all. Love's Wrath by T. Mad Latrons, also known as Buck Hopper. Read for you by Kaki, also known as Alex Vance. Dixie told herself not to cry. The tears would ruin her makeup. The phone went dark in her paw as she turned it off, taking her hopes with it. No last second call, no text, not even a tweet. It shouldn't matter, 
she told herself. We talked about this. Dixie was shooting a movie, and Klaus still had events to attend. After a year of dating, they knew a furrywood actress and a pro basketball player weren't going to find much time for each other. But she didn't care. She needed to hear from Klaus. She was losing him. The director had apologized endlessly when he called about the pickup shot. The film had already gone over budget and passed its shooting schedule, and it frustrated Dixie. Not the pickups. Action movies were notorious for rewrites. It was shooting during the FBA off-season, the only time she could spend two days with her boyfriend. Through production, she'd been forced to apologize to Klaus again and again about canceling another date, bailing on dinner, not being able to see him. He always understood, telling her not to worry that there would be another time, saying he would always love her. It helped to hear that, but with each missed date, the wound in her heart grew. It didn't help that she hated the movie. It was a big role, one her agent had been pushing for. In most films, she was lucky to have any lines at all. This was a supporting role, a big step up in her career. The script was dumb, though, some ultraviolet twenties mobster flick. And the director was a notorious bloodletter, splashing his scenes with gallons of sticky red fructose. It was a huge mess. But Dixie wasn't a prima donna. She'd built her career on doing the dirty work, getting her paws messy, and doing her own stunts. And she was proud of that. It wasn't the gore that troubled her, it was her costume. She had to wear a suit for this movie. A man's suit. It wasn't the first time. Dixie had been big since she was a pup. Always tall and broad, she stood out among the other girls in school. Because of her size, she was pushed into sports, but honestly, she never resisted. She was strong, and it felt good using what she had. Her body responded by bulking up incredibly fast, packing on muscles bigger than most boys. Her coaches called it a gift, but it felt more like a curse when her classmate teased her over her size. She found herself having to wear men's clothes, not because she wanted to, but because it was the only thing that fit. It was the clothes that kept her from being asked to the prom, though, and had her leaving college without a single date. The few times she did push a man to go out with her, the story was always the same. You're too big, you're too intimidating, you look like a man. The sting was eased a little when a furrywood recruiter cast her in an action film. She found she liked movie work, and the director loved her unique look. After graduation, she hit the weights in earnest and took acting lessons. It wasn't long before she was getting calls to do bit parts in dozens of movies, with directors loving the novelty of a big, muscle-bound pit bull woman. The work paid well, and she was good at it, and it made it easy to forget how much it hurt. She still heard the comments now and then, whispered by stagehand, oh, She looks masculine, weird, ugly. The words hurt no matter how often she heard them. One time when the pain overwhelmed her, a friend took her to a basketball game to take her mind off work. It was fun to watch, but her eyes kept drifting away from the ball and toward one handsome young Doberman playing point guard for the visiting team. As it turned out, her friend had connections with the stadium and got her in the tunnels to meet the Doby, and he was wonderful. There was the obvious stuff. He was tall, had an incredible body, and his soft German accent was just adorable. But when he complimented her earrings, it was silly, but no man had ever done that before. He looked into her eyes, but not the way the others had. Not like she was a woman who challenged him, but like a woman. She felt beautiful talking to him, and it had been so very long since she'd felt that way. Her heart just about leapt from her chest the night he asked her out. During their first date, he confessed how he contacted the stadium and begged her friend for Dixie's number. Dixie couldn't believe it. No one had ever pursued her like that. 
It was hard not to show how excited she was, and she worried that she'd been too quick when she agreed to a second date. But he was quick too. The next time he took her out, he didn't wait until her doorstep to kiss her. That moment could have lasted forever. For the first time in her life, under the glow of that street lamp, in the chill of that night and warmed in those strong arms, she felt delicate. And it was wonderful. All her life she thought a girl like her would never find love, but she'd found Klaus, and he was everything she could have dreamed of. And now she was losing him. As she got into place, her mind stung with dark thoughts about how awful she'd been. She should have quit this movie. She should have broken her contract and spent a month with her boyfriend. There was no way a handsome, charming athlete like him would have to settle for her. Not when she was too busy making this stupid movie and with her disgusting role as a masculinized woman. No doubt he was sick of waiting for her. There were other girls out there, prettier girls, waiting for his attention. It was exactly what the cruelest souls in her life had always told her. Ugly girls don't get to have boyfriends. Well, fuck it. She stood on a plywood replica of an old Chicago street, pulled from storage and nailed by rushed hammers. The script had her fight through a pack of Doberman gangsters. The irony wasn't lost on her. And it made her hate the movie even more, seeing how blind it was to her grief. But as the dog stood in position wearing low-worn hats and dark costumes, she knew it didn't matter. It was gone anyway, and the wound it left was too deep to heal. So she tore into them. The blanks sprayed from her gun as she shot down the first actor, then cracked the stock into the face of another. Squibs went off and fake blood splashed as she got her arm around the neck of a third, pretending to snap it. Without the sound effects, the scene would seem lifeless to an observer, but in her head, it was real. It had to be real. Not just for the camera, but for her. It was real when she broke a Doberman's teeth on her knee, smashed another's ribs with her fist, cracked an eye socket with her elbow so hard she felt the bone split. She snarled and snapped as she threw herself into the scene, tearing apart the dogs, delivering all the pain she needed to bury her own. But then, before the scene was done, the dog she shot first stirred. He moved. He fucking moved! Dixie's jaw dropped as anger thundered over her. The bolts came so fast, the words clogged her lungs until all she could let out was an outburst of roars. No, you miserable runt! You ruined the take, you fucking amateur! She was so livid, all she could think was how she'd punish him. She'd demand he get thrown off the set right then, that he would lose any hope of a furrywood career after messing up this scene, this one pickup, the one thing keeping her from finishing this goddamn movie, from seeing her boyfriend, from having the relationship she'd dreamed of all her life, and keeping back those black clouds of grief from every night she'd spent crying herself to sleep. <sighs> Over why did she have to be so lonely? As she opened her mouth to loose all that fury, the actor took off his hat and looked at her. Her eyes went wide as the roar in her lungs stopped and slid to a lump in her throat. Klaus? Anger twisted into confusion as her head tried to make sense of what she was seeing. She looked at Klaus as he got onto one knee, looking up at her with his handsome blue eyes striking against the bright red blood. She was crazy. She had to be. A guilty chill ran through her as she realized she had seen Klaus in the actors, had cracked his neck and broken his face and beat his body for tearing her to pieces, for taking her heart and shattering it. It was horrible. 
and for a moment she feared her thoughts had grown so black she'd somehow pulled Klaus to the stage. <laughs> and that was crazy, though. She had no idea why Klaus was here, interfering with the shoots. Now the director would have to cut the scene, the actors would have to clean up, and they'd have to start all over again. Except he didn't call cut. She looked up at the director and he looked back, saying, Nothing. The camera kept rolling. The crew stayed behind the lights. Klaus, what's going on? Dixie demanded, turning back to the Doberman who now held out a jewellery box. The pit bull gasped, her paws covering her mouth. The questions unraveled in a heartbeat when her eyes fell on that diamond ring. Dixie, Klaus said, his words unmistakable. Will you marry me? Dixie shook. She couldn't stop shaking. She stared at that ring as the soundstage sheltered her crash of emotions. It could only cover them for so long. Yes, yes, oh God, yes, she squealed, her voice flailing at the silence. Yes, I'll marry you, Klaus, I'll marry you. You will? Klaus said, a relieved smile bursting from his face, the effort of staying collected popping from the pressure. Yes, yes, I'll marry you, Klaus, Dixie cried out, hugging Klaus as he stood, crushing him in her huge arms. But he didn't complain. He never did. He just crushed her back. And as they locked muzzles to kiss, the cast and crew rose and cheered so loud Dixie couldn't hear them at all. The only thing she felt was her boyfriend's embrace, his kiss, and that wound in her heart undone by the only thing more powerful than grief's wrath. And then the tears came. <laughs> Fuck the makeup. You've been listening to Love's Wrath, written by T. Matt Latrans, also known as Buck Hopper, read for you by Kaki, a.k.a. Alex Vance. Thank you for listening. Open Lane by Buck Hopper. I got an open lane. I got the speed. I got the moves. I got the hops. Piece of carrot cake. Easy too. But a voice behind me tells me to stop. Look ahead, it says. Can't you see? Look at the defense. A wolf. A tiger. A bear. Predators. Big predators. And you want to run at them? You're just a bunny. Just a fuzzy, buck-toothed, soft-clawed, grass-munching bunny. Sure you're fast. You're fast so you can run away from them, not at them. Look at those teeth. Look at those claws. Look at those eyes. You're popcorn to them. You think that uniform will keep you safe? That the official will make sure they won't turn you into soup meat right here on this court? They wouldn't think of hurting you in front of this audience? It happened before. You've seen your own blood on the hardwood, heard yourself scream into the rafters. Why couldn't it happen again? We all want to believe we're past the old ways. We're more civilized as furries. But how do you know there won't be a slip-up? All it takes is one moment for millions of years of nature and evolution to come roaring into their heads, for those teeth to flash, those claws to tear, and for those baselines to mark off your final cage. Pass the ball. Get rid of it. Let someone else go inside. You've already taken the ball this far. It's okay to stop there. It's okay to end your drive. It's okay to be afraid. And whenever I hear that voice, I tell it, I got an open lane.